Uh, good to see you this morning. Uh, we're in the middle of our Exodus series, so we're going to be looking at Exodus chapter 20 today, verses 1 through to 17. So if you've got your Bibles, open up and follow along with me. We're going to be working between 19 and 20 a little bit today. Uh, but it's also going to be on the screen, so if you want to look at the screen, you'll see that it's up there too. Uh, Ron Finance was on Bible reading today, and he's on the Rhine, I think, somewhere. Uh, we thought we'd Skype him, but it would have been about 2 o'clock in the morning for him, and he wouldn't work him doing it on the screen. So I'm going to read for him. Uh, Exodus chapter 20. Uh, you'll probably recognise these as we go through them. That's uh, uh, where we hear about the Decalogue or the Ten Commandments. And God spoke all these words. I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing your children for their sin of the parents of the third and fourth generations for those who hate me. But showing love to a thousand generations for those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not, will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day, and by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labour and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son, nor daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreign resi- foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that was in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honour your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbour. You shall not covet your neighbour's house. You shall not covet your neighbour's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbour. Well, the Ten Commandments... What are they good for? That's what we're going to be thinking about today and everyone's just going to that song, War. What is it good for? Absolutely nothing. Well, is that the case with the Ten Commandments? We're going to be thinking about that today. Uh, But first of all, I thought you might like a couple of different options for the Ten Commandments. This is the toddler's Ten Commandments. If I like it, it's mine. If it's in my hand, it's mine. If I can take it from you, it's mine. If I, had a little while, if I had a little while ago, it's mine. It is mine, it must never appear to be yours in any way. If I'm doing or building something, all the places are mine, pieces are mine. If it looks just like mine, it's mine. If I saw it first, it's mine. If you're playing with uh, something and you put it down, it automatically becomes mine. If it's broken, it's yours. <laughs> it's not bad, is it? Uh, You can feel that a little bit. I don't think that's just kids. I think sometimes that's us as well. We tend to do that too. Well, what about this one? Uh, This is the Hillbilly Ten Commandments. Ain't but one God. Honour your ma and your pa. No telling tales or gossiping. Get your hide to Sunday meeting. Ain't nothing come before the Lord. No fooling with another fella's gal. No killing except critters. Ah... Quit your foul mouthing, no swiping your kinfolk stuff, don't be hankering for it neither. The Ten Commandments, it's interesting, isn't it? Uh, the kids one, the hillbilly one, uh, 
Some people find them uh, really important, some people don't find them important. Some countries find them extremely important. In the United States of America, uh, they actually went to the courts to ban the Ten Commandments from being placed on uh, the walls in schools. Uh, as I said, some people see them as being something that we need to keep strictly. Some people say that they've got nothing to do with anything. What are they? The Ten Commandments. What are they good for? Well, that's what we're going to be thinking about this morning. We're going to see on your outlines on the back of your service sheet. We're going to see what they were good for in the beginning. Then we're going to see what they are good for now. And I don't know, you might, uh, some of you might get to the end of this and say, well, that's interesting, Paul thinks that. We might take him because he could be... Uh, uh, he could be saying something I don't believe in here, or you might say, I already know that. Uh, I hope that today, as we go through this, that you might see how I think the Bible and how I think God understands the Ten Commandments, because that's most important for us. Because I think lots of us have made different things of them, but yet God has them in a particular place at a particular time and for a particular reason. And we're going to see how that all fits together with the New Testament. Sometimes I think we just go to the Old Testament and we forget that Jesus came... I mean, forget that the New Testament teaches us a lot about it. So, it uh, could be interesting this uh, as we work through this together. I'm going to pray and then we're going to think about it. What are the Ten Commandments good for? What they were good for then, what they're good for now. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for your word. We thank you that your word uh, teaches us, instructs us, but most importantly, Lord, reveals you to us and how we can be in relationship with you for eternity. We pray, Lord, that as we think about uh, this part of your word this morning, the Ten Commandments, something that uh, we are quite aware of, uh, something that uh, seems to be bandied around lots of different times, help us, Lord, to understand it from your perspective this morning. Uh, may we seek it from your word and may it teach us how we are to understand them and uh, what they're good for, both then and now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, when you come to anything in the Bible, uh, the, what's most important before you make a decision about how it relates to you is context. Context, context, context is most important before we do anything about trying to apply it to you and I today. And when we get to the Old Testament, it is vitally important that we do that because the context, we always need to remember that it's before Jesus. Uh, so we need to remember where it fits in regards to God's big story from beginning to end, knowing that Jesus is the key to it and knowing that he helps us interpret the Old Testament. So you never, ever can I encourage you to go to the Old Testament and just pick it out and say, that's for me. It was never written that way. It was written so that we understand it in its context, in God's big picture of the whole story and how Jesus impacts that. So I'm going to think about that today because I don't think we've done that very well with the Ten Commandments in the past. So I'm going to encourage us to think that through a little bit this morning. Context, context, context. And where are we? So where are we in the story so far? Can anyone tell us in chapter 20, where are we in the story? So far in Exodus anyway. Who can tell us it's about the, the beginning? Yeah, they've just gone through. They've just been taken through the Red Sea, haven't they? They've just been saved. So the Israelite nation, uh, let's go back a little bit further. Right back to the beginning of Exodus, the problem is... But God's people, they've been growing and getting bigger and bigger and bigger, but they've been in slavery in Egypt. Uh, God raises up Moses. Moses uh, becomes one of Pharaoh's kids in a sense, but then does something and he kills someone. He takes off and he goes away for 40 years. He meets God on a mountain. 
And when he meets God on the mountain, God sends him back to go and deliver his people, to be the mouthpiece for God to deliver his people from Egypt. So Moses goes back. We see he goes back and Pharaoh says, nah, I'm not letting you go. Moses says, yes, you are. Uh, Moses says, no, I'm not. And uh, they go through that banter for a while. They go through nine lots of plagues, don't they? And then on the 10th plague, uh, the killing of the firstborn, at the end of that, Pharaoh says, get out. And so Moses takes his people, we think close to 2 million people, out of Egypt and they head off. And that's what we looked at last week, didn't we? And they get to the Red Sea and we see that there God delivers them. It looked like a hopeless situation. Sea on one side, Egyptian army on the other, but God parts the sea and he delivers them. And we saw, didn't we, that that's the deliverance, is the picture of God's deliverance ultimately for all of us in Jesus who takes us and delivers us from sin and death through the cross. Uh, But they've got to the other side now. And in chapters 16, 17 and 18, we find out what's happening next. They're on the other side. And remember what they were going to be doing, weren't they, as they were heading over there? What's God's plan was that God's mission through the whole of Exodus is for God's mission is to gather his people, to be his people and to be a blessing to the world. That's what God wanted right from the beginning, not just Exodus, from right at the beginning of Genesis. This is God keeping his promises, remember? And so God's keeping his promises. He's got his people now. They're about to go into his land. They're about to be his people. They're about to be a blessing to the nations. And in chapter 16, what happens? They wins that they've got no food. God provides them food. In chapter 17, they wins that they've got no water. God provides them water. In chapter 18, Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, turns up. Now, that'd be pretty scary, wouldn't it? Your father-in-law turns up. What are you doing with my daughter? What are you doing with these two million people? What's going on? Well, the amazing thing with Jethro, he has more faith than the rest of the Israelites. He sits down and praises God and then encourages Moses to do some very wise things. And then in chapter 19, just as we're about to see God's people going to God's place to be his people, to be a blessing to the world, and God steps in and he sets out for them what this is to look like and what it's to look like for you. God steps in and sets up a covenant, a contract in a sense, between himself and his people of how they are to live in his land. Now, this covenant, as they call it, uh, is like a contract, apart from the fact that it's actually God who does it, God who desires it, and God the one that keeps it, in a sense. God the one who makes it. And the Israelites, really, they've just got to agree to it. Uh, They're not an equal party here. God's the main guy. It's a covenant. He's telling them what to do. They've just got to join in on it. The contract is, this is how you are to live. If you don't, then things are off. And this is it. Chapter 19, Moses is up on the mountain, the same mountain that he met God The first time, Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai is the same name, same place. And he's up on the mountain, clouds have come in, thunder and darkness is all happening around them and then God speaks. And this is what he says to them. On the first day of the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, chapter 19 verse 1, on that very day they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from the Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, 
and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you out to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. God is bringing out his people to be his people, to be a blessing to the nations. That's what he's saying. A priesthood is someone who brings God to the people. That's what his people were supposed to be. And so God's got them there. He said, this is the covenant I'm making with you. This is what I'm telling you have to do. This is what you have to obey. If you don't, then things are not going to go well for you. And so then we get to chapter 20. Maybe. Remember the context. This is God's people in God's place to be his people, to be a blessing to the nation. This is how they're going to have to live if that's going to be the case. And notice what he says there. In verse 20, uh, chapter 20, And God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Now that is a really important verse. Why? Because these people are already saved. They have already been delivered. They are already being redeemed by God. They are now his people. Now this is what he's going to give to them. This is how they are to live now that they are his people. Notice that this is not for the rest of the nations. This is not for anyone else. This is at a specific place, at a specific time, for a specific people. Why? Because they are to be his people and to live his way to be a blessing to the nations. And notice that they are already saved. The next ten words, the next ten commandments that are coming out, do not and will not and have not and never will save anyone. Never were intended to save anyone. See how some people keep saying, oh, if we follow the Ten Commandments, we'll be right with God. They were never for that. Never. We're going to find out later that they're still not. But they were never to be for people to get saved. You can't. We're going to find out you can't do that. But these are never so, all right, if you live this way, then you will be my people. No, no, no. You're already my people. You live this way because you are my people so that you will be a blessing to the nation. So the people will go, wow, how good is God? Now that is very important, isn't it? Because I sometimes speak to people and they say to me, I'm going to be all right with God because I try to live by the Ten Commandments. Bah! was never intended for that. God never said that. He never said to live this way and you will be my people. You're already my people, therefore you live this way. That is very, very important because when we get to see what they're used for now, some people still try to go back and say, well, if we live by the Ten Commandments, we're going to be right with God. No. Never intended that way. Never expected to be that way. Still aren't that way. So remember that. That's context. We always need to remember context. That helps us understand that. So now we see that God speaks and this is the covenant he's going to keep with them. You live this way, then you will be my people and it will go well with you in the land if you do this. This is my promise to you if you keep this. And so what he gives to them is what we know of, the word called Ten Commandments. Actually, it's not Ten Commandments. It's called the Decalogue. It is the Ten Words of God, literally. These are his Ten Words to his people at this specific time, in this specific place for how they are to live God there to be a blessing to the nations. 
And you can almost summarise them into two lots, can't you? The first four are all about God being number one. You'll have no other gods before me. You'll have no idol. You won't speak vainly of me. You'll rest. The first four are all about having God number one in their lives. And that's what he wanted them to do, didn't he? Ben said, you know, when you put your shirt and you do up the top button first, the rest fall in line. God's saying to his people, if you get this right, guys, then the rest will follow. If you put me number one, I'm to be centre of your life. And then the rest will follow. That's what the first four are all summarising. God first. Love God first and foremost in everything, he says. And in one sense it's almost like, isn't it, it's like the horizontal sense of what it is to live as God's people, is to have him number one. It's this way. That's the first four commandments. The next six are this way. They're horizontal. It's about how to live together as God's people. And that is to love others, isn't it? If you go through the next six commandments, they're all about how we are to treat one another. Honour your father and mother. Do not steal. Do not commit murder. Uh, Do not uh, commit adultery. Do not covet. They're all about how we can love one another. The first four are all about how we can love God. The second six are all about how we can love one another. Oh, someone else has said that, haven't they? Who said that? Who, almost 2,000 years after, maybe 4,000 years after this, who said that? Jesus did, didn't he? Keep that in mind. We'll come back to that. It's a really important thing to keep in mind. Loving God and loving others is what the whole of the Ten Commandments wrapped up First four, about loving God. Next six, about loving each other. And then that's the way that they were supposed to live. That is the way that they were going to live, to be God's people in God's place, to be a blessing to the nations. And if they lived that way, then the rest of the world all around would go, wow, how great is God? That was the intention of it. So that people would do that and go, wow. But it didn't happen, did it? It didn't happen. Just go to the next chapter and you'll find that they start building an idol. And you go further on in Genesis and they start doing... And it just goes on and on and on to the point where you get to Jeremiah and Jeremiah says, we need a new covenant. God speaks to Jeremiah and says, the old covenant is broken. You've broken it. We need a new one. And you see, the problem is not with the covenant as such. The problem is the people. The people couldn't keep it. The people couldn't love God with all their heart, soul and mind and couldn't love each other the way God desired them to love each other. And they broke it and they keep breaking it and kept breaking it and so God says we need a new one. Uh, Jeremiah 31, let me read that to you. 31, 31. The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. I'll not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers, when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I'll make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I'll put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbour or a man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, because they will know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. The old is broken. The covenant that God set up with his people back at Sinai is broken. We need a new one. 
Because it's not God that's a problem, we're the problem. It's not in the sense the rules are the problem, it's we're the problem. We can't keep them, we don't do it. We're broken on the inside. We need someone to come in and do that for us. We need someone to come in and be a substitute for us. Someone come in and do that perfectly for us. And that's what Jesus does, doesn't he? In Matthew chapter 5, we did that last term, didn't he? Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, I haven't come to abolish the law, I have come to fulfil the law. What does that mean? It means that he is the new covenant. The old is gone, the new is come. Jesus actually is the new covenant. He brings in the change of heart, the change from the inside, doesn't he? Because he comes and actually fulfils the law perfectly, but yet goes to the cross for us when he doesn't deserve it. He takes the punishment for the breaking of the rules he does that for us, then he rises again and he says, if you trust and believe in me, then I'll give you, your, my, give, you my, my, give you my spirit and I'll write my law on your heart. It'll be from within, not from without. It's not a bunch of rules on a wall anymore. It's from within. God's going to change us from transform us from the inside out and we're going to live for him from the inside out, not from rules from external. It's going to come from here and out. You see, the old covenant is no longer effective. It never was. The old covenant is no longer for us. We are under the new covenant. We are under Jesus. When we put our trust in him, then he becomes the fulfilment of everything that God tried, wanted to happen back here in, the, in Exodus chapter 20. It is now in him. All that was wrapped up in becoming God's people, in God's place under his rule to be a blessing to the nation, now is found in him and us living in him. So the Old Testament, God's commandments, the Decalogue, the Ten Words, what were they good for back then? Well, they were to show how the people of God were to live, to be his people, in his place, to be a blessing to the world. That's what they were intended to do. But it didn't work, did it? Not because of God, but because of the people. So God had to institute and bring in a new covenant, one that he knew that didn't rely on us, but relied on him doing it for us in Jesus. So now, the old covenant has faded away and and taken back there. The new covenant is where we're at now. The old covenant is going to help us see what the new covenant is about, but it fades into the background. The Ten Commandments fade into the background. So what are they good for now? What are the Ten Commandments good for now? And they're not to put on your wall. They're not to have up in schools. They are to do something else for us. And that's when we look at now. That's when we come to the New Testament. What are they good for now? Well, I'm going to give you some pictures of what what the Bible says, how God pictures it how uh, Jesus pictures it, how Paul pictures it, how uh, Peter pictures it, and then you're going to come to the end of it and I hope you're going to see how they fit now. What are they good for now? The first one is that the Bible tells us they're like an x-ray to us. Uh, They actually see on the inside. When we look at the Ten Commandments and we look at the list, we recognise, oh, I'm cactus. I am absolutely stuffed. I cannot do that. It actually shows up that on the inside we're gone. (laughs) <laughs> it means we need something more. Look what it says in Romans 3.20. No one will be declared righteous by observing the law. Rather, through the law we become conscious of sin. It shows us where we fall short of God. 
where we can't get there. They show us that we can't love one another perfectly and we can't love God perfectly. We can't do that. The law never did that. It can't do that. It's not going to save us. But it does show us where we fall short. And it drives us to Jesus. Because it knows that when we fall short, it means that we've got to go somewhere else, don't we? We can't be saved by just trying to say, okay, tick off that box. I've loved God with all my heart, soul and mind. I haven't made an idol. I haven't ticked this one. I haven't covered it. I haven't. Well, the problem is you go to tick them off and then you've got to rub them out because the next day you have, the next day, oh man, I did it again. Oh, you can't tick the box. It's saying you can't do it that way. It says you need someone else. Run to Jesus. That's what the Ten Commandments did. They take us to Jesus. That's why we've got them now. They point us to Him. It says in Galatians 3.24, So the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. They lead us to him because he fulfills them. He's the only one who could. Takes us to him, runs us to Jesus. And the other thing is a bit like a babysitter. Uh, Babysitters are in charge until the parents come home, aren't they? And then when the parents come home, the babysitters don't stay there and think, well, I'm in control now, do they? No, 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 no. The babysitters, they take off. They get their money, they're paid, they're out of here. And in a sense, that's what the law was like. It was like a babysitter. This is the way that God had it. But that was, only, that was only to start with. This is really the real one. The real parent's God, not the rules. The real parent is Jesus. Galatians 3.25 says, Now that faith has come, we are no longer under the supervision of the law. We, we, we don't, in a sense, even have to go back there and work out how to live. We don't go back there to work out how we live. We go back there to work out we need Jesus. And they could never save us in the first place. They only brought condemnation. They had no power. That battery's got no power to charge anything, does it? The law, the Ten Commandments have no power to do anything. All they did was bring condemnation to us. But now we don't have that because of Jesus. Look at Romans 8. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do and it was weakened by the sinful nature God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering for us. It's got no power. Can't do anything for us. But for us to realise that in Jesus we are set free. They were binding and constricting, but now we've been set free to live for him because we have the spirit within us because of Jesus. But they were a shadow too. They weren't the reality. They're only a shadow. In Hebrews it says, the law was but a shadow of the good things to come. Hebrews 10 verse 1. You know the shadow? You don't go and put all your effort into the shadow, do you? If you want to go and hug somebody, you don't go hug the shadow. You hug the person, don't you? Why go to the shadow? Why go back to the Ten Commandments and say, well, you've got to live this way, guys? Why go back to the Ten Commandments and think this is how you're going to be saved? Why go back to the Ten Commandments and think, it's a shadow, guys. Go to the real thing. It takes us to the real thing. Hug Jesus. Grab him. He's the real thing. But that doesn't mean that you can do whatever you want, does it? So the Ten Commandments, what are they good for now? Well, they're like an x-ray. They show us what's wrong on the inside. But they drive us to Jesus because we know that we're cactus. And they've got no power to save us because Jesus has done it. It's only a babysitter. It's not going to do anything because it takes us to Jesus. It's gone now. We don't need to go back there. We need to come to Jesus. It's got no power to save. 
But does that mean we do whatever we like? Are we just set free to do whatever we want? Well, no, no, because now it's on our hearts, isn't it? Matthew 22, verse 37 to 40, when Jesus is asked, what is the greatest commandment? What's it all about? He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. The second is like it, you shall love your neighbour as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. We already worked that out, didn't we? First four, all about loving God. Next six, all about loving each other. But this takes it even bigger than that, doesn't it? The law actually constrains you, makes you just, all right, well, if I'm not going to covet someone, but maybe I could just go around and take something. or you know, I could work my way around that law just a little bit. But this blows it wide open, doesn't it? It says you've got to love God, love each other with everything. It's bigger than that. And if we want to love God with all that we are and love each other as much as we possibly can, then we won't covet, then we won't steal, then we won't murder, then we will put God number one. He will be our driving force. We don't have to go back to the Ten Commandments to work that out, do we? We've got it here. It's in Jesus, in loving God and loving each other. The Ten Commandments might inform us on how to do that, but they don't bind us. You don't go around and try and tick them off anymore. In one sense, you don't even have to know them specifically. They'll help you understand how it is to love God and they'll help you understand how to uh, love each other, but they're not to bind you. They're not there. You don't actually have to go back there in a sense because we now have God's Spirit within us who set us free from that, to love God and to love each other. And if we do that, because what's the last part of God's people? God's people in God's place being his people is loving God and loving each other. And the last bit is to what? Be a blessing to the nations. And what does Jesus say about that? By this then we'll know that you are my disciples if you love one another. See how Jesus brings it together? Back then it was if you kept this covenant and you kept these rules, then you would be a blessing to the nations. You'd show what God is like, but you couldn't do it. Now... Just if you love one another, that's how the people will know how great I am and how wonderful I am. Because you'll have Jesus on the inside. Jesus transforming us from inside by his spirit. And we'll live a life of love for him and a life of love for each other. It's a challenge, isn't it? Where have you thought the Ten Commandments fit in the past? How's your understanding of the Ten Commandments been before? You may not be convinced what I'm, what I'm saying to you now, but I want you to check the Scriptures out and check what the Bible says. Have a think through it. Have a look at the passages, especially in the New Testament, how we understand the Bible, how we understand Scripture, how the context fits. And I think you'll see that now we don't have to live and we don't live by the Ten Commandments. But they point us to Jesus. They drive us to Jesus. They get us on our knees in repentance and faith in Jesus because he's fulfilled it before. He can't save us. He's got no power, but Jesus can. He has the power. It was a babysitter. It's no longer there. We have Jesus. We don't have to go back there. There is now no condemnation in those who are in Christ Jesus because we have the Spirit within us. The new covenant is fulfilled in Jesus and the new covenant becomes ours because we have the Spirit within us. It's written on our hearts. Love God and love others. 
That is how we fulfil and live out what God wants us to live today, to be his people, to show that we're his people, to be a blessing to all the nations so that people around us go, wow, how good is our God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for your word. We want to thank you that your word is your story. It's your story of your salvation for us in Jesus Christ. That the whole of the Bible fits together as it leads us and takes us and drives us to Jesus. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you that by your spirit we now have you written, your law written on our hearts, that is to love God and to love others is written within us, Lord, and now longer do we need to have a written code to tick off and to follow as such. But we have you, that we are to seek you, that we are to live for you, a life that loves you first and loves others with all that we have, Lord. Heavenly Father, help us do that. By your spirit, Lord, we can't do it. We know we can't do it. We just worked out we can't do it by ourselves, Lord. We need you and we need your spirit. Lord, by your spirit, we pray that we will be your people, living for you, being your people and being a blessing to those around us because of you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.